Need a reason to pick up an oversized weapon and get together with friends to save a world? Good news, then. We have two brand new games for you to hear about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sprites and Dice podcast, where we talk about gaming news, reviews, opinions, and thoughts, all in 45 minutes or less. I'm joined here with my writer, Eric. Hello. And I'm glad I have Eric here, because in both the games we're about to talk about, he has had my back time and time again, picking me up off the ground as I'm either being demolished by horrible giant monsters, or being chased by giant fungal creatures that also shoot lightning. It's, it's, there's a lot of bad things happening out there which is why you need some friends to go out there and save the world with. Yep, co-op is definitely the name of the game, no pun intended. So, for any of you who know me in real life or who have heard some of our old podcast episodes, uh, I am definitely a fan of cooperative games, survival games, anything that forces you to play with other players. Don't get me wrong, I definitely love some good co- some good competitive gameplay, uh, you know, Halo playing a few rounds of games where you're very much at each other's throats. But when I really kind of want to relax and really enjoy the company of my friends, I find survival games to be the most interesting to me and the most fun because then I can spend hours jumping into a game, not worried if I'm going to offend someone if I do a really backstabby move. You know, like when you play Risk and you're like, I could, you know, really, really backstab my friend, but they're going to be mad at me for a while. For me, that can be really funny at some points, but if you're not playing with the right people, that can get really ugly really quickly. I'm sorry, did you say play Risk? Can those words <laughs> go like that? Mean. Well, Rising Sun. Like when we were playing Rising Sun, and it, there was like a certain point where, I will be honest, it was our first time playing with Adam. Adam knew the game pretty well, and I just didn't play my faction correctly. We weren't sure how negotiation worked. So I got destroyed in this game. And so, like, you know, with one or two rounds left, I knew the writing was on the wall. And it was very much, I was kind of out of this four-player game in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I definitely lean more toward co-op, but depending on the game, yeah, I can enjoy a good competitive game. I, I really like Blood Rage, since you just mentioned Rising Sun. But that's not really why we're here, is it? No. Uh, why we're here is to talk about cooperative games. And I don't mean just like a little bit. I mean truly cooperative games. Now, if you want to think about you know cooperation, you might think of games where you're working on a team against another team, like in Halo, if you're playing 4-on-4, or League of Legends, or Heroes of the Storm. What we're talking about are games that are truly cooperative. There is no player versus player anywhere in the game yet that we know of. It's always you versus the environment. Always working as a team, and they've been both built from the ground up to be this way. Uh, Both have a small open world element, one more than the other. And both definitely are trying to pit you against odds that feel a little insurmountable when you first get into the game. Both games we're going to try to cover in a lightning review style, where we're going to try to get both of these done, about 15 minutes to each of them. And I feel like there's some overlap to the game, but each one gravitates towards its own nuance and its own style. I know we were kind of debating before we started recording, and we decided we're going to cover the one that is coming out actually in two days from the day of recording. We are recording this on the 22nd of May. And in two days, the open beta for this game starts. A lot of people are hyped about this game. A lot of people are suspicious about this game. But it's one that you should definitely take a look at because it's free to try out. And that is Dauntless. Yes, uh, Dauntless. We at Sprites and Dice have been lucky enough to get in on the closed beta. 
It's gone through a couple of different iterations, and it's been great to see the growth. Dauntless is... The first thing you'll notice is it's very similar to Monster Hunter, um, to the point that when they... We, we got to demo it at PAX, and I asked the devs at the booth, you know, so what would set this game apart from Monster Hunter World, which recently came out? And they their answer was the co-op aspect, whereas Monster Hunter... You can play co-op, but it's definitely geared more towards single-player. Dauntless is just the opposite. Which is a good way to look at it, and one of the ways it's definitely trying to vary itself. So, um, a little bit of backstory. Dauntless is a game that the developers are calling part of the Slayer genre. Now, before they said that, there wasn't really a genre for this style of game. There's only two games that are focused primarily just on fighting a giant monster that's larger than yourself. That would be the Monster Hunter series and Shadow of the Colossus, right? Like, that is the only things you do in those games, essentially. Yeah, and I know that when you mentioned that in, we were having a group chat, you mentioned that, and the rest of us went, well, that can't be right, and we thought about it and couldn't come up with any other examples. Right, which is sort of the weird thing. Um, I just finished writing my my preview about the game, about the closed beta, and I was kind of thinking about that, where when you play a video game, especially when you played one back in the day and you wanted to get to the boss battle, you wanted to see how epic it was, there was, like, this accumulation that always comes up to it where it's like, all right, time to fight the giant big bad. So the fact that this is one of the f- games most recently that is just about finding the big bad, as it were, to fight it, was really kind of curious-making for me. I mean, there there are games that have giant boss battles. I mean, God of War does it. Um, to a lesser extent, Bloodborne, which I just finished, you fight the giant bosses now and then. But to make it just the sole focus of the game is very rare. And like I said, I can't think of another one. Yeah, so it kind of surprised me that it hasn't been done before, but I guess also trying to distill down a game to just that takes its own challenges. So one thing that uh, Dauntless was trying to do that sets it apart from Monster Hunter is, one, it is on the computer, and two, it is entirely free-to-play when you start it. You're going with a free-to-play model. There is a subscription that you can sign up for for getting, I think, some faster benefits and rewards, as well as, obviously, some cosmetic stuff. Which, you know, but that it's try, it was trying to make a market that was much more accessible, which is nice because Monster Hunter has a great following and for good reason. It's a very good series, but it very much has, it marches to the beat of its own drum. You love it or you don't love it. And sometimes the barrier for entry does get a little bit more difficult. With that being said, Monster Hunter Worlds came out or was announced very, very soon after Dauntless went into heavy development in Alpha which people thought was going to stop Dauntless. I got to see it at Paxis two years ago, actually, and people were really curious about this. Much to my surprise and happiness, at Pax just a month ago, or two months ago now, they were still there with even bigger lines. I think the line was about an hour and a half to two hours all the time on the show floor to try out this game. I wouldn't know. I jumped the line. Oh, come on. Don't be that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, press privileges. But <laughs> but yes, it was a very impressive line. And I think there was for good reason for that, which was, I mean, besides the basic premise, is it's a very pretty game. It's very colorful. Yeah, it's definitely eye-catching as you're walking around the show floor. And, and the booth they had for it was huge. Like, there, right. there was some serious it, money behind that booth. It was actually kind of funny when you look at it because it's actually a relatively sparse booth, but what they have is they have these they have these very large black obelisks that went all the way up that had the pictures of the giant monsters that you were fighting, like the Drask and the Nasher and a few other names that now me and 
Eric has become very familiar with because those things have beaten the crap out of us a few times uh, since we've had a chance to play. Uh, so it was just really happy to see that see it go from an alpha stage a year and a half ago where I liked the game, but it definitely didn't feel finished to trying it out at PAX show floor. And then when we got into the closed beta, really seeing the game go through a few iterations to the point where I'm feeling pretty confident that when it comes out in open beta, there's going to be some people that really like it. Uh, there's going to be some people that aren't quite a fan because they're used to the Monster Hunter model or they don't like the free-to-play model for games. So there's going to be a bit of a mixed reaction to this one. Yeah. Um, I think the free-to-play aspect is what has me the most nervous about it. Because I, I know they're trying to ride that line where like you're encouraged to pay money, but they don't want to make it pay to win. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they strike that balance. Uh, I know that in the shop now, what they had was mostly cosmetic items, and I think you could buy, like, you could buy resources, but you can find all the same stuff out in the world. Because it, um, first off, what we're kind of talking about is, is our concerns about the game. The game is coming out on the 24th in open beta, which means that the game is still going to be heavily worked on patch after patch after that point. But the world will reset. Everyone that was in the closed beta has to start again from level one, essentially, and play out through the game. Because every time they've done this, they've increased or improved the storyline a little bit, added a little bit more to the world, uh, worked on the balance of the different weapons about the world. What's really great about this is that, I, I'm, again, I'm not as familiar with Monster Hunter lore as I should be, but essentially you are just your hunters, you find giant monsters, and you fight them for the good of wherever you are. But it's not really fleshed out a lot. In this world, in the world of Dauntless, apparently... What's really cool and what gives it this really striking look besides the bright colors and the atmosphere of the game is the fact that you're on floating islands. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's a very pretty looking world. The islands are sort of floating in the sky. The Actually, we, we've said that it's gone through several iterations and I think it's gotten prettier each time. In terms of the reason why there are flying islands, one of the things that happens is that they are called the Shattered Isles, and the reason for that is essentially there is a substance that kind of binds everything together, aether, as it were. You'll kind of hear that a lot as a magic kind of sub in different types of games. But the idea is that these behemoths, these large creatures, actually soak up aether and eat it as almost a food source. That's what kind of makes them so large and strong and gives a lot of the magical powers that most animals don't have in real life like you know throwing icicles at you or laser beams yeah, or things yeah. of that nature i mean my turtle breathes fire i don't know about yours <laughs> i want I, I have not seen that yet you'll have to show me that trick um <laughs> but in this world the behemoths have those sort of powers because they're literally eating away the magical substance of this world so you as a slayer is are someone that is tasked with going out on really cool looking airships that also seem rather rickety onto these kind of floating islands, finding those beasts and killing them before they, are, they destroy more of these floating bits of land in the world. Uh, you are located out of Ramsgate, and when you talk to the individual NPCs, they're definitely talking about how there seems to be an upswell of monsters that are getting closer and closer to where Ramsgate is, and they're worried about that. So as Slayers, you're going out and defending people, uh, finding out more about what's going on, finding other creatures... Uh, there's actually a point right now in the closed beta where after about, I'd say about six or seven missions, maybe more, there's actually a point where islands that have either frost or desert come in and as part of the story, they actually say, these these 
islands are way off of their orbit or their course. We don't know why they're here. Why don't you investigate there? What kind of creatures are on it? Yeah, like we started off fighting. Um, there were Nashers, which are basically these giant beaver-looking things, and Shrikes, which are like uh, owls. You fight those, you get some of your low-level gear, then you go hunt down giant stone turtles. and. One really cool thing about Dauntless is that when you first land into an area, it is a large open area of this floating island. They have different ways to kind of texture them to be a desert world or an ice world or just a lush forest. Um, some are very vertical where there's lots of cliffs that you have to use kind of like air vents to jump up and down on or other ones where you're running through lakes and streams. And when you first get to the island, you know the behemoth is there, but you don't know where exactly. Generally, you'll split up so you can find them faster. You've got these flares that you can send up when you find one. Which is, I think, one of the first ways that makes Dauntless feel different is the flares. I know it sounds like such a small thing. Yeah, so when someone finds one of these monsters, you can throw a flare up. It'll it'll also make a little flag on everyone else's radar. But you can just look around to see where the flare is and go, okay, there's the monster, and you all take off for it. Um, if you're lucky, the monster won't spot the person who sent the flare. If you're unlucky, the person might be dead by the time you get there. Which has happened to us at least once, so uh, shame yeah, on us I, for that. <laughs> I remember my first time finding the Skarn. There was, <laughs> there was a cry of, I found it! And then I died. The thing is that this creature, this behemoth, will be in a clearing area that has an open rift in the world where aether is kind of pouring out the idea is that they're feeding on the on the ether of the world and that's what's making it crumble there's two really cool things about the mechanic of that is that one is that you can actually use the ether to heal your characters if you're able to hold your uh, gather button on top of that during the fight in order to kind of have a health potion but you have to keep the monster off that area as well usually the creature then will activate you'll have different danger music that kicks in and you have to fight this thing now, I think since we've played, we did not get to fight every single monster that is currently in the beta. I think we play, we fought against a total of seven different types of behemoths. Uh, yes, I think that's right. But I know that in the game, they're hoping for 15 to 30. I didn't, I'm going to have to check that on you, but they are, they are working on new ones already for when the open beta comes out. And they haven't even let us know what other ones will be out in each iteration that comes in after this point. Yeah, so the combat in it is, it's a little bit Dark Souls, actually. Your your attacks are kind of a little slow and a little ponderous, and you have to, you can't just go in and start flailing. You have to be a little bit strategic about it, because if you swing Wait, at... it's not quite Devil May Cry. Yeah, if you swing at the wrong time, you're stuck into your attack animation, and there's nothing to do but watch yourself get smacked across the field. So you have to anticipate the weapon attacks, and you have to anticipate what the monster is going to do next. So a large part of the gameplay is actually kind of figuring out what cues the monster is going to give you, anticipating when they're going to strike at, as well as also looking for weak spots on the monsters, which I think is a really cool thing that Dauntless does, which is as you deal damage to these things, you'll actually see scarification happen, uh, injuries show up. There's actually a weapon that's advanced in the game called the Warpike that... If they're able to wound in a particular way, that portion of the monster will light up and you do extra damage if you get to that portion. Uh, again, different monsters will have different weak spots. For example, the Nasher, as the intro monster, as it were, has a very large tail. That is its major way of attacking, but you can actually cut off the tail if you continuously attack it and get to it between those 
dangerous moments. Yeah, and then and then there's uh what, five different weapons currently at least. In the, in the game right now there are five different weapons. Uh in this current iteration you have three different ones and then you have to unlock the, the next two. The first is the sword, two-handed, um, works the way you would kind of expect it. You have um, some pretty good attacks. Um, you, can, you can carve things up pretty well. Um, they have a special attack, a heavy and a light. Their special attack is actually kind of firing an elemental burst in front of them, and you use up a amount of weapon charge that while that's still winding down, once you've activated that first kind of elemental burst you do a little bit of extra damage you have a little bit of a boost to yourself you have then the chain blades which is for anyone that loves movies with ninjas in them uh or likes nunchucks essentially you have two kami little scythes on a chain that you attack rapidly and repeatedly with and their special attack lets them kind of actually kind of teleport into combat or teleport out of combat to get away very quickly their light attacks are very fast and rapid but their heavy attacks let them do the same attack animations, but at range. So they, they've got they've got a they've got some pretty quick dart attacks, um, but they don't always have the damage behind it. And then of course there's the weapon that I think I fell in love with immediately, and I know that Eric finally fell in love with as well. <laughs> yeah, the hammer, which surprisingly is not actually the highest damage dealer. It's more of a debuff weapon. Uh, it's really yes. good at breaking pieces off of monsters, and if you do. If you do enough damage to a monster's head, it'll get these, like, swirly animations around it, which means it's staggered. And a good yes. hit and a good hit at that point to the head will actually knock the monster over, and you'll get a few seconds of free attacks on it. Allowing you to interrupt it or not. And the cool thing about the hammer is that it's also a shotgun. Yes. Because, sure, it's, actually, it's a really great look at it, where pretty much when you're holding the hammer, you're holding it like an under under the uh, hip Gatling gun while you're running with it. And it has four shots in it. So rather than uh, four shots in it, your heavy attack is unloading one of those shells. Now that gives you a little bit of a ranged attack. You can actually expend a shell while you're in the middle of a heavy swing to try to um, add a little bit of damage. Or you can do what I think everyone's going to fall in love with the game. And it's kind of demonstrative of the style of this game, which is that you can rocket jump with a sucker. Yeah, you can just shoot yourself up into the air and then come down on top of the monster with a you know with a big heavy swing from the air. Right, which you would expect to kind of just be, oh, it looks cool but doesn't really do much. We found out that as you play the game, it's a very very it's a very great way to actually get some airtime and go for the head, which for some of these creatures is very very important to get those staggers, those interrupts. And really kind of throw the monster off its game. Uh, then you have the axe, which is a really cool weapon that is the tanky weapon, actually. Um, you can actually hold down the button to charge up the attacks and hit with it. And they've added a mechanic with the axe where while you're attacking with it in certain combinations, if you can play the game right. Again, this is a, a game where you choose when to attack carefully. It's not a button masher. Um, if you do this correctly with the axe, you actually enter some kind of modes of attack where you are no longer interruptible. So even if the enemy attacks you, you will complete your hit back as well. In addition, you also gain some armor during that phase. So it lets you kind of tank the monster better than other sorts of weapons. For this sort of game, again, if you've played Monster Hunter or anything else, the type of weapon that you play with is going to change your game style, and so that's a major part of the game. Um, for myself, the hammer is definitely my style. Uh, I, I like the sword. The chain blades don't quite work for me. A lot of people love them. 
Um, it's all about kind of identifying with a particular weapon style, and that's going to really decide whether or not you like the game. I mained the sword for a long time. It's probably the most basic weapon, but it's just reliable damage, which I really enjoyed. I have a thing for the axe, too, as the tanky weapon lets you just stand there and go toe-to-toe with this giant thing. Which feels good. Which, which brings us to the other side of the gameplay, which is the creatures. We kind of mentioned a little bit about some of them. Some of the designs for some of these creatures is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And what, what's your favorite? Uh, my favorite, I, I'm going to say the Cherog or the Skarn. Mm-hmm. Um, the Skarn is really cool because it's a large lizard that literally carries rocks on its back as armor. But it also will shoot them off at you. Now, it's not just like a basic, like, hey, it's just going to kind of point and you'll see it. You'll see a rock attack no like he'll actually um what he'll do is that if you're attacking on one side you'll see all the rocks on his back shift over to one side like a set of spikes that can move and then he'll dash in that direction and launch them in in a spray which is a really cool animated effect um when he goes into an enraged mode which most monsters will once you get past that starting zone area um he'll curl up into a massive ball and um, pretty much become near impregnable. Like, it's very hard to actually get to him. But during that time, if you're not attacking him, he will shoot rocks up out of the ground when he kind of thumps down on it to try to hit you from range. Or while you're attacking, you'll have only a few moments to realize that part of him is shaking as rocks crack off and go off at you. And, and at that point, that's where the hammer comes into play because you can actually chip those rocks away and get to him. Uh, then what's your favorite creature? Um, I was going to say the Skarn, but I've also definitely got a thing for the Charog. I think the Charog is probably the most fun to fight. It's The Charog is the one that's the big fire turtle. Um, and he does, like, he shoot, he spits out fireballs that track you for some reason. Yeah, yeah but when he found out that they could track us, I remember hearing Raid scream. Like, just literally scream and start just running in circles trying to get away from this floating orb of lava. Yeah, he does these like splash attacks that leave pools of lava that if you step in them you start taking damage over time uh and his rage mode he's got these four jets built into his shell uh and he'll just start slowly rotating in circles trying to spray you with these fire streams which what i think is really cool is if you do it right you can actually step in between two of the streams and just get all these free attacks while he's slowly turning but if you slip up then you get caught in the fire and then you just burn to death that fire hits so hard. Uh, it was really funny because when we were first playing through the game, the first time we played through the beta, the Cherog was, he was a really cool monster. He kind of burbles and gurgles. You can hear like the liquid in him gurgling before he fires this liquid lava at you. Um, but he wasn't that dangerous. Since the patch, they definitely put him up on the scale a bit and he's a lot harder to predict. That spin attack that he does is a lot more dangerous and if he... Yeah. If you get touched with lava enough that you light yourself on fire, you are going to feel it. Yeah. Really, I think all they did was they just tweaked his speed a little bit, but, I mean, that was all it took. His only problem was that he was a little too slow. Right. And then, like, with the Scarn, they added a few extra attacks, right? Like, some of the forward yeah. charges I didn't see before that. Yeah. Um, we we stopped playing the game because we knew there was going to be a hard reset right before release into open beta. And we stopped when we got to something called the Scave, which was essentially the Shrike. Now, the Shrike is an owl bear. If anyone's played Dungeons and Dragons, essentially, it w- it was a very fast, nimble creature that would get up and swoop at you like a hawk or an owl coming in for its prey, but also could fire tornadoes and things like that. The scave was essentially an ice version of that. As we got to the point where we we're getting into elemental combat and elemental creatures, and 
the scave had ice skull attacks that were rapidly faster. He could freeze the ground in some areas, freeze you in place. It was nasty. Oh, yeah, we did not win that fight. No, we did not. We said, all right, let's wait until some of our friends, we can get more friends in on this and do some more four-man fights against these things. Yeah. Um, the game feels good. Um, those are the two major things is, you know, how does it feel to use the different weapons and how does it feel to fight the different monsters? Uh, the monsters that we fought were definitely very varied. There was different styles to attack each of them. And then the other two elements of gameplay is that there is a small gathering portion of the game where essentially you are collecting some herbs and stuff like that while you're on the island. Um, if you run into them, that's how you make additional potions for stamina, for armor prevention. You kind of can kit yourself out a bit that way. And then, of course, the teamwork. And teamwork can be very important in terms of just uh, making sure you're all either reviving each other, covering each other so someone can run away and use their health potions or get to that rift in the ground, or um, going after the same weak spot and calling it out. It feels really good when you have four people teaming up on a creature and you start seeing it get interrupted two or three times in a row. You hear that shattering noise as parts break off of them, which are parts that you typically need to collect to make weapons based on that monster. Yeah, it definitely feels really good to play. And, and like you said, um, the teamwork is what really sets it apart. When you have a good team, it just feels wonderful to do those fights. Uh, you know the one thing that I keep coming back to are the flares. I know it sounds silly. I know it sounds really silly. But the flares in the game are really emblematic for me about the style of game of cooperation where they don't give you a mini-map for the, for the individual island. They just drop you on it. Um, you know there's up to three other people on there and you're all wandering on your own. But when you're running through the woods looking for this thing and you hear that flare sound when he finds the creature or when the creature runs away, finds it again, is a really satisfying feeling that adds that sense of camaraderie. And I think they've done a pretty good job of that. Um, in terms of downsides to the game, we did kind of talk about this a little bit. There's no um, dance emote. We are, yeah, there's, there's no dance emote really yet. They are adding emotes. They already improved the, the system for emotes a bit from the first iteration into the second. Um, what I'm really worried about is making sure there's going to be enough content for people to stay interested in the game to make a free-to-play model work. Now, a free-to-play model will let them kind of just constantly add monsters to the game and keep bringing people back, which is cool. Um, I just want to make sure that people give this game a fair shot. There are going to be some people that really love it, um, find it a little bit easier to be accessible, easier to jump in and just try out with friends, um, and some people will stick around for a long time and really enjoy the grind of the game of going up through these individual monsters that were getting progressively harder. And then there's going to be some people that don't like the game because they like Monster Hunter or it's just this is not their game style and that's fine. Um, the game definitely has some growing to do. Uh, when you were in the town area, it was very laggy. It's gotten better every single time they've patched it, but it is still in beta mode. So please keep that in mind if you're going to try out the game. Um, it is still not yet a complete game. Well, like Wyatt said, we stopped playing that maybe a week or so ago because we knew it was about to be hard reset anyway and because we had another game we had to try out. We did. Uh, so, again, Dauntless is a really good game for cooperation and kind of going out fighting a big monster. Each fight takes about, like, 10 minutes, maybe 15. Um, they can take 20 if you really have a laggy issue or you're having a hard time with a creature. But it's really good for these kind of spurts to fight a creature, go back to town, prepare, and go back out again. This other game is much more about persistence, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Eden Rising... Yeah, the thing is, Dauntless is very focused on one thing, and it does that one thing very well. 
Eden Rising is part tower defense, it's part survival, part exploration, and it meshes all these things together very well. It's got a bit of, you know, survival games. It has a bit of almost Minecraftness to the game. It has a bit of Orcs Must Die Unchained. It blends a lot of different genres into one cohesive whole that, when I first heard about the game, I went, if this works, this will be right up my alley. If it doesn't work, it's going to feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like when you go to a fusion restaurant and they say, hey, this is a mixture of Mexican and Japanese food. Uh, it's either going to be fantastic and you've never had anything like it, or you're going to want to leave early. Yes. Luckily, Eden Rising does manage to do the successful fusion of these genres. It manages to take all these different aspects and make them work together instead of stepping on each other's toes. Like, you you have to go out and explore so that you can find the resources, so that you can build your towers, so that you can do the defense portions, so that you can fight the monsters. An important thing about the game that I think is the secret sauce that makes it all work is the fact that when you're playing the game, you are playing on a private server. Sort of like when you play Team Fortress 2, or you play Counter-Strike, where you first load up the game, and then you choose what lobby to go into. When you play in Rising, you actually make a server, and you name the server, and that is your save file. The catch is, that save file, then, you can invite anyone you want to, to help you explore that world. I had the chance to speak with the developers of the game, and Brent was very, very specific about coming back to this one phrase, which is, we are trying to make you feel like a tribe. You are a group of survivors that are working together to change this world and protect this world to make it work for humanity. The basic premise of the game is that it's sometime, typically in the future, and you are human explorers or survivors that have landed on Eden. Uh, Good news is, it is a planet that can support life. Bad news, it can't quite get because there's a lot of weird medusoid fungal creatures that live there that have kind of overrun the surface and made it toxic. The water is actually sulfur, um, the creatures are very dangerous, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, it supports life just fine, just not human life. Fortunately, in terms of gameplay or plot for the game, there is a computer there that was left over from a group called the Ascendants. Essentially, it was a large planet-wide computer that helped maintain this world. Once the Ascendants have left, this computer went dormant and the monsters and biological life overran the planet. If you help the computer open up its large kind of CPUs called Crucibles, that's where the tower defense comes in, you will gain upgrades of technology and you are upgrading the planet and yourself so you can survive there with everyone else. Yeah, and that's where Wyatt was talking about the gameplay loop of Dauntless before. That's where the gameplay loop of Eden Rising comes in, which is a little bit more complex. Um, It's like I said, you have to go out, you explore, you get the items to build the tower so you can defend these crucibles. And then as you defend the crucibles, you access more technology, go out, get the items to make that stuff, and just keep building up on that. And it feels good. That gameplay loop feels phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. It's There's a lot more to it than there is to Dauntless. Um, I'm not going to say it's necessarily better than Dauntless because of that, because Dauntless does what it does very, very well. But there's definitely a lot more to it. Right. And each game has its own reason for existing. It's just, you know, with Dauntless, it has this really great feel of, again, you you and three others against a giant creature go back 
skill up and go back and go back into the world with load times in between. When you play through Eden Rising, there are no load times besides when the server is being generated, essentially. It becomes one large open world, as if you were in a World of Warcraft zone, but just you and your friends. Right now, the game actually allows you to have up to seven others besides yourself in the world with you. And what's really cool is that the, um, the difficulty scales with that. So whenever um, I was able to play the game, and I was playing with Eric, and then our editor Adam was able to play... I would actually just change the difficulty of the game to be for three people instead of two, and it would change the individual sieges to have more monsters in it, or the monsters that are in the world would gain more health automatically and become a little bit more lethal. It was actually really, really smooth when we would see that happening. Rather than load times between these individual areas, you would have to kind of navigate everything without ever cutting away. So when you're doing a siege, and we have not built our own towers enough, so let's say we run out of the ability to build turrets, one of us would possibly run back to the center of the crucible, go into the game bank, craft more materials, and rush it back out to restock the area with more towers while the rest of us are still fighting the monsters off. Or they could actually go out into the field and keep finding resources on their own and then come back to us, which is a really cool feeling. But, I mean, it feels great. The technology, the build on the technology feels awesome. I mean, when we started out, we had, like, we made some armor out of fungus that we found, and we had, like, a pointy stick and figured out how to make uh, a sticky pot trap, which is just, like, this thing that explodes with sap and slows down monsters. And after, I don't know, five to ten hours of playing, we've got metal armor and these advanced weapons that can shoot fireballs, and we're crafting, like, auto like we're crafting auto turrets and you know, bombs, and the, the build-up right. feels and this great. this is where the gameplay loop, I'm really satisfied with how well the gameplay loop makes you feel like a badass in this game. Um, because the way it works is that the idea is that when you're doing a siege and you trigger it, you are turning off the protection in the crucible to let the computer update itself. This triggers the creatures of the forest to attack the computer at that point, and if you successfully beat them in that siege time, the computer resets, and as it resets, it unlocks some of its archived lore that then you have access to and gives you new technology. So that's a great way to kind of marry gameplay and also plot. And it unlocks new technology. You can actually find sieges out in the world, which were old research facilities or outposts, that if you complete them, you also get other technology that will help out in the area as well, which is also really cool. Um, we most recently unlocked polarity weapons, which we haven't really played around with yet, where essentially we have different towers that will do a lot less damage or just weaken the opponent, but give them electrical charges. And we can build weapons that will cause a massive discharge of built-up electricity which will deal damage we haven't seen before. But again, this game does get complicated quickly. When you build towers in this game, the towers are not strong enough to actually fight monsters on their own. You have to fight along with them, so there is an action combat element to the game that's not as good as Dauntless. Yeah, which isn't to say it's bad. It's, it's basic, but it's good. It's solid, right. I would say. Each weapon has its own kind of um, combination system, um, you know, another special, another heavy. You, when you have a dodge, which lets you teleport about in a puff of purplish smoke, um, it definitely feels a lot floatier than a game that would be dedicated just to action RPG or action adventure does. But 
it is better than what I was expecting it to be, and it does feel good when you do take down a massive monster like a Gorgon, which, again, if you've played the game before, you will start to rue whenever you hear someone shout Gorgon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere out there we saw something called a Gorgon Rex. I'm not looking forward to meeting that thing. The game is really, really nifty. It definitely has some optimization issues, and again, the combat isn't the... The combat is not the best, but again, that's not why you play this game. You play this game for that gameplay loop of defense and exploration. The exploration feels really good when you go out and you find these individual outposts and you collect resources. When you collect individual resources, you might run into a resource that you have never seen before, but as soon as you collect it, you are able to unlock new technology or you get hints about blueprints in the future, which then you know you can use to bring back to use in sieges. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I were going to sum this game up, it's the good parts of No Man's Sky combined with Orcs Must Die. Which which is a weird thing to say, but it works. Um, if if you like tower defense games or you like games of crafting and exploration, this game is probably something that is up your alley. If you have friends that you want to play this game with and try out, this game is absolutely worth it. When you are playing with a group of, I worked with just one other person. But when you have your own private server that is saving your progress as a group, it feels really good when you unlock a siege, you get a new technology, then everyone has access to it. When you collect materials, you drop them off in a chief resource bucket and everyone has access to that resource. I do have some concerns. Um, the combat does need to be tightened up. I do want to see some better optimization. The game is beautiful, by the way. It has a really, really... Like you talking about No Man's Sky, it has a sort of pastel-y look to it. Uh, the creatures and plants all have this kind of fungus fungal organic look to it while the more computer operated bits have this very uh geometric black shape to them so you can tell mm -hmm. the difference between the two it feels very iconic i do want to see if they're going to add more to the game there is a lot in the game that's what adam kept saying that there was a lot of layers to it i would like to see some more variants in the monsters we're fighting but I think that's a small complaint in comparison to what you're getting out of it, which is very unique gameplay. Yeah. I mean, you say there's a lot to it. Now, I didn't play with uh, Wyatt and the guys the first time they booted this game up. I came in a little later on. And trying to get caught up was definitely a bit overwhelming because, you know, I, I go into the combined inventory for the first time and I see there's this crafting menu and there's options for weapons and armor and health items and turrets and... get. Uh, you got various gloves that can like help you gather resources and do other stuff. And then I have to figure out where we are in the world, how I get around the world, what we need to collect. There's, there's a ton of different elements to it. So there's a bit of a learning curve at the start. And I will say that when we first started playing again, um, without Eric, I was playing with Otto and Adam, they were both a little bit sort of like, okay, what type of game is this? Is this supposed to be a exploration game? Uh, which Otto loved. Otto's favorite part was when he ran over sulfur water, dying. And we all trying died to trying to get to him. Safe land. <laughs> right, right. I know that was something that he really enjoyed because he likes that sort of like bold exploration where you see the map open up and we kind of find new things. Adam really likes the idea of crafting, coming up with a plan. And so when we first started the game and it doesn't give you any sort of blueprints, like it says, okay, here's, here's the first crucible once you find it. There is... I think there's 19 or 20 sieges in that first crucible, but guess what? Once you get up to the third or fourth one, it's impossible to keep going without going out and finding new materials to make different types of weapons. 
once you get up to, I think, the sixth one, it actually gives you a warning saying, by the way, there are other biomes, there are other crucibles out there that you might have to activate and learn their technology before coming back here. So you have to kind of choose your own path through this world and find the best way to advance. Having to put together the pieces, again, not with yourself, but with a community, figuring out the best path forward feels great. And again, Halo and other games like that have a great cooperative element when you're working on a team. Eden Rising, and again, to a smaller degree, Dauntless, have this sort of much more, you are a team and that's it. So, which of the two games do you think you like better? Ooh, okay. I love both, for different reasons. Uh, my brother is someone who lives in Denver, so he lives a long ways away from me. Um, I love playing games with him, but just because of time zones and otherwise, uh, we usually try to play like one or two rounds of something, then call it a night and kind of use that as our time to hang out. For that, Dauntless is perfect. We go in there, we do two or three monster raids, um, say say goodnight to each other, or go back to doing whatever we were doing. And that is a great way to spend time with my brother. It's great for short bursts of high energy. Um, the fights themselves feel glorious. They feel really meaty. And when, you're, when you start making better weapons and gear, it feels really good. However, I like Eden Rising more because it's trying a lot of new things that are really cool. It's blending the genres together in ways I'm not familiar with and they feel organic together, and I definitely like the idea of having a saved, persistent world. The idea that right after this podcast, you and I can log on to that world, our friends will join us, we'll each have our own saved map, we'll have a community of shared goods that we can use together to, you know, try to figure out this world and figure out where to go next. I, I don't have as many games where I have that experience where it's that accessible to jump into and have that sort of fun. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, again, I also love both games. I think I'm going to lean the other way on it and say that I like Dauntless a bit better. Uh, really? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Eden Rising is awesome, and the, the world and building it up, all that is great. But Dauntless just feels so good to play. Like, it, it's like I said, it only does one or two things, but it does them very well. Um, and, and fighting those monsters is an awesome challenge. Uh, I love the teamwork aspect of it, and it's just, like, every time you swing the weapon, it feels really satisfying. When you manage to break a piece yeah. off, that's just, it's just a thrill to hear that shattering sound. Yeah, the music in that game is phenomenal. Yeah. The, the music and, in Eden Rising is very atmospheric, but it's very su subdued in comparison. Yeah. Maybe that's the right word for Dauntless. It's just a very thrilling game to play. Hmm. And Eden Rising is much more of a slow burn. Yeah. Um, both are great. Both are currently in a stage of early access. Dauntless will be free, and again, you'll be able to get it on the ground floor essentially in two days uh, when it comes out. Hopefully this podcast will come out either that same day or the day before. Um, check it out if it's May 24th or after. Meanwhile, Eden Rising just hit early access this last week and is only $15 to get in on right now. Um, both are great experiences. If you get into the game, you're going to be helping out the developers make a polished product at the end of it um, but both have enough gameplay where it definitely I approve of you getting it right now to play yeah I think that's fair to say and I think that is it for this episode yep uh, so yes Dauntless and Eden Rising two great games both co-op both early access and um, I would say now is definitely the time to jump on them if you are looking for some friends to 
hang out with and try to save the world. We will hopefully have a, we have a Sprites and Dice server in Eden Rising, and we also actually have a Sprites and Dice guild we're hoping to start in Dauntless. It might be a little fun side project to see if we kind of have a guild in our own name hunting monsters down. If you have any thoughts or opinions, feel free to leave us a comment on whatever way you are viewing this podcast. If you want to find out more of our content, feel free to check us out at www.spritesanddice.com. Check out our Twitter at Sprites and Dice or our Facebook to keep track of all of our newest articles or events that we're hosting in our local area in upstate New York. With that in mind, I believe that's it for now, and hopefully you'll hear from us soon. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, everyone, life is short, so have fun gaming. Good night.